we know uh, deep down inside, God, we're aware, we're in touch with the reality that we're made for worship, that we're made to sing, make music, to lift to you praise and honor and glory that are rightly yours, that belong to you and to you alone. You are good, you are great, you are majestic, you are the king of all things, your creator, redeemer and sustainer, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so we honor you. We ask that you would be honored in our uh, reading of your word and in my words that follow. Uh, Help us to be attentive to you, to your will, and to your way, to have hearts that are good soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate, add to or subtract from your word, may they be quickly forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So I want to begin with confession this morning, always appropriate, maybe not always, but uh, um, over the course of my life, since I was a little kid, and not just when I was a little kid or even a young adult, but something that's stuck with me in various degrees and in various ways, is this tendency to not let go of things. When I get hurt or when I get upset, when I have when I've been wronged in some way or feel like I've been wronged in some way, it stays with me. It's always stood with me. Uh, And maybe that is the case, has been the case with everyone, but I've always felt that it was particularly the case with me and not something that I felt like I could do a whole lot about or really wanted to do a whole lot about. I hung on to, maybe I still hang on to, hurts, when um, people do things, say things, don't do, don't say things that wound, that hurt, that get into me. I've not let go. And the simple way that we uh, refer to that practice is keeping grudges. That may have looked like in my life ignoring a person, avoiding a person, uh, keeping someone at a distance. It may have involved or come to painting that person in my mind as not good, as mean, as disrespectful, as less than me or other people, deficient in some ways. I know that you can't relate, or maybe I should say I know that all of you can't relate maybe to the extent that I feel like I've been weighed down at times by that disposition. But I know that some of you can. I know that most of us can in varying degrees, and maybe you still do. I don't know. But God, who is love, wants, desires, intends better than that for us. God wants better than that for the people in our lives who are affected by or who are in relationship with us or who used to be. Because I don't know about you, but I can let go of, over time, passively, I have those relationships. I'll let them dissipate and dissolve. Because it's easier than dealing with the stuff inside of me and the issue at hand. And so, if you're like me, there are some relationships that you've just let drift away into the past. Because of the hurt or the anger. But God has a plan to make all of that better. Before we get into that, let me recap a little of what we've learned over the past couple of months as we've been studying the book in the Bible called Colossians. It was originally a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in and around an ancient city in what's now Turkey. The city of Colossae doesn't uh, exist anymore. 
but a young group of Christians, a church planted by a friend and co-worker of Paul named Epaphras. Paul had never been there, but he cared about what was going on there. He loved the people there, even though he did not know them. And he writes to encourage them and to straighten them out. As we've talked about over the past couple of months, they were influenced by being influenced by outsiders who had become insiders in some case, some who practiced a very strict form of Judaism, some who were influenced by various Greek and Gnostic thoughts, ideologies, and philosophies. And Paul's writing to sort of straighten out the ways they've gotten off track, to show them truth where they've slipped into falsehood, to show them ways that are life-giving instead of misleading. That's where we... uh, where we have been, uh, we ch- talked in chapters one and, in, and, and to a lot, to a large degree in chapter two, Paul talks about who Jesus was, about how God is, about what God did in Jesus Christ, about Jesus being the uh, head of all things, about him being supreme in every way, the firstborn among creation, the one through whom God created, the very identity of God himself in him, God was pleased to fully dwell. And then God talks about the things that God himself did in and through Jesus for the world and how all of that worked. We talked about how God invites us into himself and into his life through baptism. And Paul talks about how we're born into Christ, how we're buried with Christ and raised to new life with Christ. He tells us, we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, that since we are in Christ and identify with Christ and have life in and through Jesus Christ and him alone who is the supreme one over all things and all beings and all of creation and all of the universe, we are therefore to put to death a number of things. Lust, evil, pride, greed, things that take us away from God to put them to death. Someone shared with me uh, in the congregation another way of understanding this. We, or or those of us, and this isn't me, who are fishermen or fisherwomen, practice this thing called catch and release. Catch and release, you've heard the term. Okay, I know it's hot in here, but uh, stay awake. So catch and release, and a lot of us do that with that thing, or those things, those sins, that God calls us to put to death, to nail, to cut off their heads, to put them to death. And many of us think the more humane thing is we catch them, we deal with them, and then we release them and let them go, only for them to swim back into our pond or our river or our lake and us have to deal with them or contend with them again. And Paul says put them to death once and for all and be done with them. But he does not say only take off these things and leave us naked, which is not a good visual image for many of us. But Paul says, in their place, put on, put on, clothe yourselves, we talked about last week, a variety of things. Paul mentions in the verses we read last week, chapter three, verses 12, 13, 14, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Put on those things. Add them to who you are every day, every morning. But Paul seems to pause on patience or slip into deeper thought about it. He says a little bit more. As he's said the word, written the word patience, he almost sort of has more to say or further thoughts. He writes, bear with each other. Bear with each other. No one is perfect. We all have shortcomings. Paul's not unaware We all have shortcomings, issues, baggage, idiosyncrasies, blind spots, annoying habits, loose tongues, 
selfish moments, selfish years. And some of us more than others and some of us quite often. Paul doesn't pretend that Christians are perfect. He's written, as we read last week, that we are in Christ holy. But he doesn't think we're completely already perfect. There is still work to do. We are set apart. We are called by God. We are made new in Christ. But there is still work to do for all of us. And so Paul writes, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. If any of you has a grievance against someone. I'm going to go back and read uh, all of those verses just to get us in. Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, verse uh, 12 of chapter 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all of these things put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you have a grievance with someone? Have you ever officially filed a grievance of any sort? How many have you filed? Do you have a grievance with another person right now against anyone? Maybe it's a minor grievance. Maybe it's a major, major grievance. Either way, Paul says to be done with it. Address it, work through it, and then quickly be done with it and forgive one another. Forgive the other person, period. Paul does not say ignore the other person. Paul does not say avoid the other person. Paul does not say be neutral toward the other person. He does not say that a little grudge is okay or that any holding on at all is okay. He says to forgive one another. Forgive the other person. And now quickly I want to do a little sidebar and talk about what forgiveness is not and what forgiveness is. First, forgiveness is not, so that we understand what we mean when we talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not denying that you've been hurt. Forgiveness is not denying that you still feel the pain or experience the effects of an offense against you. Forgiveness is not saying that what the other person did was okay. Forgiveness is not giving up the right to want and seek justice. Forgiveness is not forgetting another person's offense. We often hear the phrase forgive and forget, but to forgive really is not to forget, but it's to remember and to remember in a certain way and with a certain heart. Forgiveness is not making it easy or okay for someone to hurt you again. No. And forgiveness is not a once and for all moment or event or action, as many of us have discovered. Forgiveness is something that one may have to do over and over and over again. And forgiveness is not being reconciled or reunited with someone, not necessarily, particularly when there has been abuse or a violence, when there has been abuse or violence. And this other thing, I created an asterisk because this other thing is really important to remember. Forgiveness does not depend on the other person acknowledging his or her guilt or their role in hurting you or their being remorseful about such. Moreover, forgiveness does not even depend on the other person knowing or realizing that he or she has hurt you. Doesn't even depend on that. 
Conversely, forgiveness is acknowledging wrongdoing or an offense and the hurt that resulted. Forgiveness is deciding to find a way forward toward healing through the pain and the hurt and the anger. Forgiveness is giving up one's right to get even, resolving to not seek revenge. And forgiveness is wishing the other person well. Lewis Meads has written that you know that forgiveness has begun when you are able to wish another person well. But understanding what forgiveness is and is not is not really the goal. It's just the basic information and understanding that we need. Rather, Paul encouraged the Colossians to bear with each other and to actually forgive one another, to actually forgive, and not because we have to. Again, as we talked about last week, this isn't so much a law as it is a calling us into the orbit of Jesus and his way, an invitation. Not because we have to, but because we can, because the door has been opened for us through the reconciling work of God and Jesus, about which Paul writes in chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians, about God reconciling the world to himself through Jesus, his beloved son, and his cross, and so forgiving our sins, and sort of opening this whole new door and this whole new way and the whole new possibility of this enterprise of forgiveness. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Some translations, as the Lord has forgiven you. And when we do forgive, we not only free the offender from binding condemnation, but we also free ourselves from consuming bitterness. And forgiving, we come to see the other person as someone who, like us, stands in desperate need of the grace of God and Jesus because of his or her terrible brokenness and his or her decisions and actions that are a result of such. And in forgiving, we invite that other person into God's grace, into the grace of God in Jesus, helping make them aware of such in such a palpable way that they too are drawn to the mercy and grace of God available to them in Jesus, who is supreme in every, every, every way, including in his mercy toward sinners. And in forgiving, we free ourselves. There was a time when I thought that this freedom that we receive in forgiving was just an accident. Like maybe God didn't know it was coming. He didn't know it was a part of the whole enterprise of forgiving. Like it was a surprise to God, this fortuitous part. But now I understand that this too is a part of God's whole plan of forgiving, that we would not just release the other person from the chains that bind them, or participate with God in his releasing them, but that we also get to be free. The gift of a loving God. Warren Wiersbe wrote, the most miserable prison in the world is the prison we make for ourselves when we refuse to show mercy. Our thoughts become shackled, our emotions are chained, the will is almost paralyzed. But when we show mercy, all of these bonds are broken and we enter into a joyful liberty that frees us to share God's love with others. And so we are called and invited to forgive because 
One, first, God has forgiven us in Jesus. And two, because in doing so, we bless and free other people. And then three, in doing so, we free ourselves. And so now it's time for the rubber to meet the road. Who are each of us called and invited to forgive? Who is God prompting you to forgive today? A former husband or former wife? A current husband or current wife? A former boyfriend or girlfriend? A parent? A child? A neighbor? A friend? A coworker? A boss? Someone who wronged you, hurt you, disappointed you, let you down, abandoned you, abused you? Who have you let go of? Who have you allowed to drift away? Who has been a source of bitterness? Who have you hung on to? Who have you not been willing to let go of? One author wrote that forgiveness is not forgetting. It is simply taking one's hands off of the other person's neck. In some ways, who are you still hanging on to with a grudge? Who is God calling you to let go of? So I'm going to ask you to take uh, the bulletin because they're not going to be worth anything, but uh, you're you're fanning yourselves with them now, a few of you, but they're not worth a lot after uh, we dismiss from here. Take the bulletin and write on it. Get a pen or pencil or get out your smartphone and write a few things down. Make for yourself a list of the people against whom you now have a grievance, whether it's a small grievance or a large grievance. And this list is just for you. If you want to code it, you can just write the person's initials. That's fine. No one's going to see it but you. But it's a list for you. Take a few moments and write down the names or the initials or another coded way in case you're afraid it slips into the hands of your spouse or good friend or pew neighbor. And write down the people against whom you may have a small or large grievance today or from yesterday or from a year ago or from your childhood that's still hanging around with you. We're going to take a moment to do that. And as you write and think and reflect, here's a quote from a man named Albert Haas. It takes a lot of emotional and psychological energy to keep a wound open, to keep a grudge alive. The longer I allow a wound to fester, the more bitterness, anger, and self-pity poison my blood and eat at my heart.
And now let me assure you that you have created a list as you have created a list of people to forgive. That your name also appears on someone else's list. Maybe not in this room, but somewhere. Mine certainly does on many people's lists. Our debts remain outstanding. And so when we are aware of our transgressions, may we apologize sincerely and humbly, humbly seek other people's forgiveness. And may we let us remember that we have also grieved the Lord through our thoughts, through our words, through our actions. And we will pray and we will ask God to forgive us, but we will do so knowing that according to his gracious character and his commitments and his promises, according to the atoning death of Jesus on our behalf, that he has already forgiven our sins and that he continues to forgive our sins. And nothing, no grievance on any list is held against us by the Lord in Christ Jesus. God does not hold such lists. Can you imagine Jesus dying on the cross and in his back pocket a list of grievances that he's still going to hang on to? It's not so. Instead, he opens up to us a way of freedom and even of joy. I... uh, read the story this week of a couple. Their names are Andy and Kate Grohmeyer. And a number of years ago, it was Palm Sunday afternoon. They were working in their garden. And there was a ring at the doorbell. And it was an officer from the county and a social worker from the county saying that your daughter has been shot. And their 19-year-old daughter, Anne, had been shot in the face with a shotgun by her boyfriend in a fit of rage. They went to the hospital, saw their daughter, prayed for her, prayed that God would heal her, but it was clear that she would not live, and several days later, she died. And they went and saw the fiancé in prison, in jail. And were able, because of the grace of God already at work in their lives, to say, despite what you have done, despite what you have taken from us, despite the fact that we will never have Ann back, we love you and we forgive you. The gospel has the power to do that for all of us and not just for special people. The gospel has the power to work that in each one of us and not just in those rare, unique people. As we come to the table, may we pray that God works in us an appreciation for his mercy toward us and that he prompts us, fills us with his spirit, allows us to be that kind of people. It is, if not the chief mark of a Christian, certainly among the highest, that we are in Christ a forgiving people because the Lord has forgiven us. Let's pray.
We've been hurt so many times, God. We've hurt lots of people lots of times in lots of ways. We may think more about our own hurts, our own pain, our own suffering, our own sad situations. Thank you for your mercy toward us that frees us, that liberates us. Help us to become forgiving people more and more. To let go, to trust you, to hand over, to give up on revenge, to give up on getting the other person back, to give up on getting even. And to begin to more and more see one another and the person who may have grieved us as you see that person, as one forgiven in Christ. Grant to us the freedom, the liberation, the unshackled chains, and the joy of forgiving those who have hurt us. Help us to open ourselves to that. We need it. We need you. In Christ the Lord. Amen.